Hi everyone. Before we get started today, I wanted to share a word with you and a special offer for all of our listeners from our terrific sponsor at 212. Now, if you haven't heard of 212 and you're a startup founder, you need to make sure you don't miss what I'm about to say. At the heart of every business is your cap table. It's how you know who owns what of the business. And not only is it essential to understanding your ownership, but it's also increasingly a legal requirement expected of you by investors and regulators alike. But managing a cap table on an Excel spreadsheet is a nightmare. Trust me, I myself have done it, and it's not something I'm proud of, nor would I do it again. After having raised money from over 2,100 investors via regulation crowdfunding. That's why when it comes to cap table management, I switched over to 212 and I'm not looking back. With their white glove onboarding service included for free, I was up and running with our cap table solution in no time. Now I should note something really important. Other cap table providers on the market price based on your number of investors, which means when it comes to managing all of your investors, especially from online raises, you can be paying thousands of dollars in yearly fees. And that's what makes 212 far and away the best and most cost affordable option on the market for startup founders. With 212, you pay one flat fee of $240 a year, regardless of how many investors you have, and you get their full suite of features right out of the box without any hidden fees. One of my favorite features is the ability to see how much you'll get diluted if you take that next check. If you're a founder or an investor, you owe it to yourself to check out the 212 website at 212.co. That's T-W-O-1-2.co. And get this, they're giving King's Crowd listeners an additional 25% off your first year membership with discount code KINGSCROWD25. Dilution is real, complex, and expensive. For just $20 a month, well, 15 after the discount code, you can sleep easy at night and be ready when your next investor says yes. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the King's Crowd Startup Investor Podcast. Today, we are joined by a very special guest in Sherry Noonan. Sherry is the co-founder and CEO of Rialto Markets, uh, which is one of the newest marketplaces enabling regulation crowdfunding, regulation A+, and better yet, uh, secondary sales of private securities. So I am super excited to have this conversation. They're doing some really wonderful stuff. We've gotten to know them over the past few months, and I think you'll learn a lot in this episode. So Sherry, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Chris, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So Sherry, for those who don't know, we'd love to just get a little bit of background on yourself, where you came from, and why you decided to build Rialto Markets. Absolutely. So um, I started my career in electronic trading, actually, in the 90s. So right when equities was moving from voice to electronic, I was at a firm um, called Instanet which was one of the first ECNs or electronic communications networks. And uh, from there, you know, it really was very fortunate to be able to live through that explosion or shift in terms of trading. And um, it wasn't a foregone conclusion at that, at that point in the mid-90s, late 90s. 
Um, post that, I went to Goldman Sachs. Um, so, you know, in the early 2000s, all of the brokers were buying, um, you know, their electronic trading franchises to be able to implement or integrate it into their overall um, franchise. And so I went to Goldman Sachs and, and helped with the integration of their acquisition of Spearleads and Kellogg, the electronic trading unit of that, into the Goldman franchise. Um, spent some time on the trading desk there, um, as well as a few other roles, and then went to Deutsche Bank in 2016, where I was the um, global uh, COO for um, global electronic trading, became the COO for global um, equity derivatives and global equity trading. And um, it was in 2016 when I uh, left Deutsche Bank and started Rialto Markets with um, two co-founders. So um, that's that's kind of the journey. And we really were looking for markets with you know friction in them. And uh, you know, at the time, 2016, equities was a very mature market and um, it had a lot of the kinks worked out. So we very quickly found um, private markets. <laughs> and that's how we got here. That is really, really cool. Kind of neat to have someone who's been through many of the transformational moments in the equities markets now saying, Oh my God, the same thing is happening here in the private equity sphere. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the design of Rialto markets and what kind of differentiates you and sets you apart from kind of the other players that are out there right now. Absolutely. Well, I'll first start off by saying, you know, it's a very young um, market and ecosystem, which to me is very exciting. I, I really see it as the, the early 90s, mid 90s corollary to equity, you know, the equities trading. And um, it, so a lot of the folks that are in this marketplace, you know, first generation, second generation offerings, I think everyone's bringing something to the market and we're all trying to build a really vibrant ecosystem that is, um, you know, trusted and sustainable. That's, that's the main, um, you know, I think everyone's looking to bring that. Um, in terms of how Rialto Markets is different, um, we offer two major um, lines of business um, for issuers. The first is we assist issuers with their primary raise um, across all the different you know, versions of private markets so, or the exemptions, so Reg CF, Regulation A, even Regulation D. And it, the way in which we do that is how we're slightly different. Um, we'll actually work with the issuer to be able to give them a, a white labeled experience. So it's not within the confines of a portal, but it's on the issuer's own website. And so, you know, as they're um, engaging their fan base, as they're uh, messaging out to the market, all of that information comes back to their website and they can capture that and then analyze that as, as they would like to. Um, so, so that's the major way in which we're different on the, the primary capital raise side. What we do is we, you know, basically do, you can think of it almost as like operational. We manage all of the know your customer, anti-money laundering, checks on the back end, reaching out to investors. We're almost like an investor relations arm. Um, we will not sell the company. We will not, you know, call and push the company, but we will call investors and, you know, help them complete their investment, um, you know, help them with any technical issues that they might have or refer them to management should, should that be warranted. So that's really, you know, the, the role that we play in the primary um, markets. We also have relationships with investment banks. We are not an investment bank, 
but should um, an issuer, as we've seen since March, especially um, issuers looking to do larger raises, we will um, introduce them to our federation of investment banks that we work with to assist with some of those institutional checks um, and, and running a process that's more institutional in nature, um, especially for raises that are, you know, 50 million, 75 million. Um, so, so that's really the ways in, in the primary market that we work with issuers. In the secondary market, which I'm very excited about, we then work with issuers to help them monetize those, those investments to, um, uh, you know, so give their employees, give their shareholders that have been with them for a very long time, the opportunity to actually monetize that investment. And um, we have all of the, you know, payment rails, we, we connect directly in to the retail investor. So it's, you know, retail to retail, it's, it's not, um, you don't have to send it to a broker dealer and deal with any issues around that. Um, so that's what we're very excited about. And I would say, you know, it's still very early innings um, in, in this space, but um, we've, we've got some really um, interesting partnerships um, whether that be in the alt space or whether that be with individual issuers or whether that be with, you know, some emerging RIAs or other, um, you know, um, managers on the buy side that I find I think are really going to help us evolve this, this space of the market. Well, I have so many questions based on, <laughs> on everything that you had to say. Um, if I could start with one, um, the benefit to founders of kind of having this white label, own experience, not on a platform, you know, so many people are used to utilizing the Republics and the WeFunders and the Start Engine. So what is a benefit to a founder deciding to kind of go with this independent raise? And we literally mean it's a page that essentially looks like their website. You're not going to go and find it on a marketplace. You're going to find it where that company lives on, on the web. So talk to us about why that's a good thing and why founders want to do that. A lot of founders that have companies that either they've they've cultivated a, a very strong community or they have access to a very strong community. So so we deal with a lot of companies in emerging spaces like clean energy, like cannabis, like um, med tech, or um, or uh, uh, space space tech, um, where they have you know a, a subgroup that's very interested in the development of their company. Um, or retail facing, you know, um, they, they've, they've amassed a fan base. In, the, in those cases, you know, it, it might make sense or it might, you know, does make sense to be able to cultivate that fan base and, and maintain the direct relationship with your fan base. And as, you know, you're marketing and especially for larger raises, as you're looking to market, you're able to deploy the differential between a self-hosted um, cost, which can be anywhere from one to three percent, versus a platform cost, which is larger. But it's because you know the, the platform has you up with a lot of other raises, and they have they have their own community. Um, that cost can be redeployed into marketing and 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 digital marketing to then drive um, new fans or new consumer segments to your site. Now, one thing we do talk to issuers about is the importance of a, a diversity of investor base um, and the fact that you need to spend money on marketing if you're gonna do your own self-hosted raise or you need to have a really galvanized um, fan base. You, you can't just put a, a website up and think that people are going to come to your site. Um, I, so, so it is important to have a marketing strategy 
It's also important to understand which of the which companies, you know, and, and at what size raise. I certainly think if you're doing, you know, a million dollars or half a million dollar raise, the portals serve companies very, very well. Once you're doing a $5 million raise, a 10, 20, 40, $50 million raise, the, the company at that point is probably wanting to, to create their own branding and, and control that messaging and control the data coming back from their marketing program a lot more. Makes a lot of sense. You said something else interesting, which is um, seeing some of these firms wanting to work with an investment bank. Now, for those who don't know, right, when companies go public, oftentimes they work with an investment bank to essentially line up lots and lots of cash before they ever even go public. And then on the day of, they're basically just funneling all that cash into the deal. And it's essentially like a funded IPO, right? So investment bankers are essentially people who help you find money. Um, but it's something that's very well known for the IPO market, not necessarily known for kind of the startup and even mid-market uh, that's out there. So can you talk to us about that dynamic? and what you're seeing kind of play out in that space, because that's really interesting and valuable for this space. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll start by saying that, you know, I came from a, from a large banking world. Um, and, and what's been really fascinating from, from my perspective is seeing how banking has really segmented and there are a lot of boutique investment banks that specialize in either middle market companies, you know, middle market private companies um, in different sectors. And so what we really look to do is connect companies with um, our network of investment banks, which are usually boutique in nature. Um, we, we are having conversations with some larger ones, but in general, the partnerships we've got right now are one of two kinds. Either they're your traditional investment bank, meaning you have a pitch deck, you know, they, they pitch you to their um, network, and then you have calls with institutional investment level um, investors. But it's the traditional, you know, I would say face to face, but really zoom to zoom type meetings with investors um, that are institutional size in nature um, or investment banks that have really um, ev not evolved, but but shifted their strategy to be both the traditional as well as a platform base, meaning you submit your information into the platform and your your information is federated out to tens of thousands many, many thousand potential investors, those investors could be anywhere from family offices to hedge funds to venture capital funds or private equity, depending on your stage, depending on your industry. Um, it doesn't get sent out to everyone. It gets sent out to the investors that are at the right stage in, in industry that for you, that, you know, correlates to you. So uh, those are the two types of banks we work with. The last thing I'll mention is we also work with banks overseas so there are certain um, markets, whether it be you know Southeast Asia or the Middle East, that um, we we have relationships with, and that um, investment can get federated out to those that investor base. Very very interesting. Um, I think it's great for the market. I think it's something that's duly needed. Something I've been calling for is to see more investment banks play in this space and start to service it. And if you can do it efficiently, right, it could become uh, economically viable for them. And it'd be really good for individuals who now have these kind of side-by-sides along the institution. Um, so I, I think it's a win for everyone. Really happy to hear that. Uh, next thing that I wanted to hit on that you mentioned as well was, was this talk about secondaries, right? Essentially, hey, yeah, it usually takes eight, 10 years IPO, but guess what? We're gonna let you actually sell these shares much, much, much before that at a price you might determine to be right for you. 
talk to us a little bit about the secondary market. How is that going to work? What does that look like for investors? Absolutely. So our DNA is in building these secondary market platforms. So um, our team's built uh, nine of them. So we, we're this sort of our DNA, <laughs> um, which is great. But there's a lot of differences between public equities and the private marketplace. Very different, very different spaces. And the first thing I'll say is, you know, what we've really built is um, we've built a system to take the friction out of um, resales or the monetization factor. So, you know, if, if you wanted to, in the past, sell your private company shares, first you'd have to find the other side. Then you'd have to sit down with a bunch of lawyers and you'd have to, you know, negotiate, uh, you know, all of the paperwork required. Um, what we've done is we've built the, the mechanism, especially for, you know, Regulation A and Regulation CF that are, that are standardized, right? They're standardized contracts. Um, we, because we interface with the digital securities element, even though we don't have to go far down that rabbit hole, but because we do, we can, we can really systematize a lot of um, specifics within the securities. We make sure that, you know, first of all, everyone that's on the platform goes through all of the right checks from an AML, know your customer perspective. Um, is, is hooked up to their funding element so that the funds can actually transfer. We connect up then when someone would like to purchase or, or sell um, their shares, we connect into the relevant transfer agents and make sure that they're freely tradable, that there are no encumbrances on them. And we make sure that the person that wants to buy it can actually, you know, has the, has the wherewithal to, to buy those shares. And then we affect that transaction. Um, we really think that, you know, one, um, that there are two different types of markets here that work really well. One are the retail investors who are just looking to sell, you know, 100 shares. They, they need to, you know, get their car fixed or something. They've got a, an immediate monetary need, but it's not a large trade size. For that, we have something called Market Board, which is a real-time lit system. Um, and all of the orders there are um, fully executable. So you can, when you look at the order book, you can see what you can execute against. Um, the second type of modality of trading is more of an auction based. And that's more of a book building exercise for some of the larger investors that are looking to exit a portion of their investment or all of their investment. And, and so that's a very different interaction type. Um, but, you know, overall, what we're really trying to accomplish is we're trying to accomplish, you know, less friction in the secondary market, freeing up, you know, both allowing the monetization, which for an issuer helps with employees that, you know, might get, might need funds for something, helps with, um, uh, you know, finding new investors from other locations that they might otherwise not have um, been able to get to in their primary capital raise and um, also helps them in the primary capital raise, you know, tell their investors, you have an ability to get out. You don't have to wait until there's an event. So thereby relieving the stress from, from that um, perspective. Uh, from an investor perspective, it really allows you to build a much more diversified portfolio and then manage that portfolio more actively than you could otherwise. So, so that's sort of the secondary market. We think it's really going to be critical to enabling scale, much like the infrastructure we built in the 90s did it for um, equities. A couple of questions that I think are going to come up for investors, and then I have one for the companies as well. So for investors, 
Um, will they be able to find companies that they've invested in on things like Republican WeFunder, or is it only going to be things that originated on Rialto? And the second question is, is this essentially a bit an ass market where they could put in a price they're willing to sell at, and then if there's a match, then it'll happen? Or is it kind of a more real-time thing where they essentially have to accept the price if they decide to sell? Great questions. So um, the first one is you do not have to do your primary race through Rialto. We we have all sorts of issuers um, coming to us and, and, and support all of them. Um, and, and we're excited to have as many issuers who want to come to us to, to offer this capability. Um, the second is in terms of the, the way that the market works, it really is a lit um, meaning every, the orders are displayed. And if you are willing to sell um, it, it's, you know, um, if you're willing to sell at a certain price, you're putting your order up there. If you're looking to purchase shares of a particular company, you're putting your order up there as well. And people that hold those securities can go and see, you know, who's looking to buy and at what price. Um, we are rolling out and have on the product roadmap um, the liquidity provision. So getting liquidity providers in as well as some other interesting features from, from an issuer's perspective, which is, you know, um, and obviously there's a lot of regulatory framework around this, but um, essentially allowing issuers to be the buyer of last resort um, within a regulatory framework that is appropriate. Um, but that, that does provide for other liquidity optionality um, to, uh, to the market. And then I know the big thing that founders are going to ask because they ask it even when it's simple. So never mind when it sounds complex. Uh, what happens to a founder, a company's cap table when people start buying and selling and moving things around? Does that create chaos or do you have a way of kind of managing that? I love that question because it's so easy. Um, so we are connected. Um, we, we're connected to all of the transfer agents that hold these cap tables. So we're automatically messaging back and forth to those cap tables and everything's automatically adjusted. So issuers do not have to worry about doing anything. <laughs> um, that would be a nightmare. That's fantastic. It's easy for people who are listening. It's easy. I like to hear that. Um, well, Listen, I think what you're building is absolutely fantastic. I am so excited to see you guys continue to build um, Rialto markets. I think you've come a long, long way and what you're building is so, so needed in our market. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, for those who want to utilize Rialto markets, where should they go? What's kind of the first step they can take if they want to get involved? Absolutely. So you can go to rialtomarkets.com. Um, we've got a contact form there and you can learn more about us or you can always reach out to me. Um, directly. So Sherry at RialtoMarkets.com. Outstanding. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for the time today. This has been extremely informative. And you heard it here first, go to RialtoMarkets.com. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Take care. Thank you.